Well, good morning again. We've been in a series called When Everything Falls Apart, and uh, we're going to wrap that up today. So far, we've looked at what to do when you feel abandoned, when someone that you once trusted turned their back on you. We, second week, talked about what to do when your body's broken or when you're fighting sickness or disease. Last week, I talked about what to do when you feel uh, like you've got, your kids are far from God and they've failed, or when anybody has failed and let you down. And today, we're going to take a look at everybody's favorite topic in church, Money. What to do when you're broke and struggling. Now, some of you get very nervous when a preacher uses the M word in church. I understand. And uh, some of you think, oh, man, I invited my friend today, and he's talking about money. Dog, got it. I wish he would. You know, I, I understand. Believe me, I get the struggle that some of us have with this. I do promise you this today. You will not find any manipulation, any uh, guilt. I am not that guy. I'm not going to go there. No arm twisting allowed. I promise you that's not going to happen. What I do want to do is give you some practical wisdom some things that you can do that you need to do. Now, some of you are doing great in your finances, and we are happy for you. We are excited that you have figured this out on your own, or somebody else taught you how to manage your finances. A lot of us, though, have struggled, are struggling, or we might struggle in the future. Or we know somebody, a kid, a friend, uh, somebody else in our life that is struggling, and you can take, you think, well, I've already got all of this. I'm good. I, don't, I can take a nap. No, take notes. And use this today to bless and encourage someone else because what we're going to deal with are some very practical things that will help you. And there are things that, unfortunately, I have learned the hard way. Now, I know that some lessons seem to be learned only the hard way in our life. I don't know why that is, why it tends to only go deep and settle in us when we've made a mistake and we learn through the mistakes we've made. But I don't think you have to learn everything the hard way. And I, I'm praying today that you'll listen to what I have to say and that you'll be challenged and encouraged by it. Because I've learned some lessons the hard way. Back in my 20s, I made a whole lot of horrible financial mistakes. In fact, about the first 10 years of our marriage, uh, we were a financial mess. And my wife is Irish. She's in her green today. God bless you. She's, she's a, she is an Irish woman. She's frugal as the day is long, and she's wise. She married a guy who likes to shop. Yes, I admit it. I'm just, I'm, I'm, yeah, thank you. <laughs> And I, 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 uh, I, I've gotten ourselves into trouble way too many times. And, and probably the biggest mistake I made was when we lived in Florida, we had moved from Southern California to Florida to help with a church plant and a new church startup. And we were there for a season helping this guy. And then this guy said, well, I'm going to San Diego, San Diego, going to plant a church there. And back in our 20s and 30s, we helped with a lot of church plants. And so we prayed about it, thought, Okay, Lord said, go back. So we went home to Southern California to help with this church plant. But before we left, Boca, Boca Raton, I had this brilliant idea. Not so brilliant. I had this idea. Honey, let's buy an RV because we can travel the 3,000 miles from Boca to San Diego in the comfort of our own home. We can, we can save money on motels. We can save money on food. And, and at that time, we had four kids, a dog, a puppy. That was my idea too. Really stupid. Do not ever travel with a puppy. I'm just going to leave it at that, all right? Puppy, a cat, a couple of rats, uh, I don't know, guinea pig. We had all, it's like the ark. We had all the, and I, I said, honey, we could just move, uh, you know, and go cross country. I'll drive the U-Haul. You drive this converted van, RV thing, and it'll be awesome. My wife asked this really good question at the time. I thought, how stupid can you be? But she said, how are we going to pay for this? What do you mean, how are we going to pay for it? I mean, come on, I'm making good money here. And I was at that time working in banking and making good money. And, and I assumed, you know what they say about assumptions. I assumed that I could go to San Diego, get a good job there because I had a pretty good resume in banking and that we'd be fine. 
And it was only like, you know, $169 a month. Ever done that? It's only. And so, you know, I, I thought this was a brilliant idea. Well, by the way, the trip was a nightmare. It, was, it did not work out quite the way I'd hoped. A converted van, you can't sleep six people, a dog, a cat, two rats, a hamster, and, and be comfortable. It, it was miserable. But then we got to San Diego, and I couldn't find a job to, to save my life. It, the, the market in California had tanked. I sent out 50 resumes. I talked to anybody. I knocked on doors. I went everywhere trying to find a job. Couldn't get a job anywhere. So we, we, things went from bad to worse. And now my wife's question, how are we going to pay for this, is haunting me. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I don't know. And it came to a point. This is weeks and weeks later. Well, and another little insert here. My, my son, my youngest son, had a medical thing happen, emergency, uh, long story. But we ended up going to the hospital and thousands of dollars of tests, thousands of dollars of, of medical expenses. And, you know, all my life up to that point, I'd had medical insurance. When I didn't have it, it's when I needed it. Have you experienced it's like, man, I don't have it now. I paid for years. They should give me credit. I, you know, I, that doesn't work that way with insurance companies. And so I'm, I, am, I now have thousands, tens of thousands of dollars of debt and no job and no way to pay for it. And it came down to the $169 for the RV or pay my, you know, feed my babies. And I decided to feed my babies. And I will never forget, I'm embarrassed to tell you this. Well, not so much anymore because it's been 30 years and I've learned. The, the day, knock, 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 guy showed up at my door and said, hey, I'm here to take your van. What? And yeah, it was repossessed, and I will never forget. I still remember him driving down the road off into the sunset with my RV, thinking, how stupid can I be? It was a horrible mistake, one of many that I've made. And there's some valuable lessons that I have learned through my mistakes. I don't mind telling you about my stupidity, my idiocy, if it'll help you grow. And so let me give you some valuable lessons. Here's number one, if you're taking notes. Assess the mess. Assess the mess. Here's the simple fact. You can't and you won't get better until you honestly evaluate, evaluate where you're at and how you got there. I know from firsthand experience that assessing the mess can be very discouraging. When I came to my senses and realized, man, I need help and this is horrible and I'm in deep, 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 deep trouble, it was depressing and discouraging and embarrassing. All those ings words. I was very frustrated with it. And I know that for you to stop and look, you don't, some of you don't want to. Wait a minute, I, I know I don't have to do the math. I know I'm spending more than I make. I know I'm in debt. I know I'm in trouble. And so we don't want to go there. But assessing the mess isn't just looking at what is, but it's how do we get there? What did we do? And again, I know that you might want to pull your hair out in frustration. I've got a picture of how I felt when I went through my time. See, there I am. I found a new app. They've got an app for that. Yes, I'm not really bald. You know that, right? All right. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. But you get the idea. Some of you go through this frustration. You just want to pull your hair out. You're so discouraged. But listen to me. It is not enough to just panic. It's not enough just to get discouraged. You've got to hit the pause button and stop and think, how did I get here? What did I do wrong? We need to be ruthlessly honest in our evaluation if we are to change. And that's true in every area of our life. It's absolutely true in our financial realm. We've got to ruthlessly evaluate. What did I do? How did I get here? A guy named Solomon, who wrote the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. I'm going to be landing there. If you've got your Bible, you might want to turn to Proverbs. I'm going to run through a bunch of verses in Proverbs. This guy is considered one of the wisest guys to ever live. And one of the things he talked an awful lot about is uh, the difference between being foolish and wise. And he dealt with this issue of finances as well. But Solomon said this in Proverbs 18, verse 2. 
A foolish person doesn't want to understand. He takes delight in saying only what he thinks. A foolish person really doesn't want to figure. They don't want to stop and assess anything. They think they know better than everybody else. Proverbs 28, 26. Those who trust their own insight are foolish. But anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. If we, if we trust ourselves only without godly counsel from God, from his word, and from other godly people, then the Bible says that's foolish. And let me give you a definition for how the Bible defines a fool or foolishness. This is not in your notes. You might want to write this down. But this is a definition. When you read the word fool or foolish in the Bible, it describes someone who doesn't see the relationship between their actions and the consequences. Let me say it again. A foolish person, a fool is someone who doesn't see the relationship, the connection between their actions and the consequences. The sad truth is they probably don't want to understand, and they think they're smarter than everyone else, and they trust their own insight. And so because of that, they rarely connect the dots in evaluating the consequences of their actions. I've got a short video I want you to watch that demonstrates the problem with not connecting our, our actions with the consequences. Let's watch this. Oh, my goodness. Talk about not seeing the relationship between your actions and the consequences. Giving an AK-47 to a monkey, not a good idea. Sometimes we just don't think things through. And my first point is stop, think, do some evaluation. Have you noticed how easy it is to rationalize just about anything? Left to our own insights and our, you know, without the counsel of godly men and women and the God and God's word, we can justify just about anything. And I'm famous for that, especially the first 10 years of our marriage. I could talk my wife, sort of talk my wife into anything. And we can rationalize just about anything we want to do. But again, here's the wisdom of Solomon. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a foolish person seems right to him, but a wise person listens to advice. The way of a foolish person. Yeah, it makes sense. Oh, yeah, we can, yeah, this is good. It'll be great. But a wise person listens to advice. You know, we humans have a sneaky way of getting what we want when we want it. Uh, it's really amazing to me how we can find what we want and get there, even if it's not wise or godly. And I mentioned that whole, you know, purchase of the RV thing. That was exactly what happened. I talked myself into this, more or less talked my wife into it, not, no, not really, and, and, and after that stupid thing got repossessed, and because of my stupidity, I realized, man, I need to stop. I am not as smart as I think I am, and I need to evaluate some unhealthy patterns in my life, some things that just aren't working. You see, another critical part of assessing the mess is we must ask this question, where do I need to make some changes? Which takes me to point number two. Not only do we assess the mess, but part of what we have to, not just how do I get there, but what do I need to do to change? Number two, don't go through your mistake, grow through them. Don't just go through your mistake, grow through them. Don't just go through whatever you're going through, but try to learn from them. We all make mistakes. How many of you have made a mistake in your life? Let me see your hands. How many of you have made a mistake in the last 24 hours? 
Yeah. We've all made mistakes. And the, the difference here is, is between a wise person and a foolish person is a wise person learns from their mistakes. They recognize that was really stupid. That was idiotic. That wasn't very good. What can I learn from that? They learn from their past mishaps, missteps, and they get help. You see, if you keep doing what you've always done, then you're pretty much guaranteed to get the same results. Have you figured that out yet? And if I keep doing what I'm doing now and it's not working, then it's going to always continue to be that way. De definition of insanity. Someone who keeps doing the same thing, thinking they'll get a different result. That's not going to happen. In fact, I want to show you another short video about what happens when we don't learn from our mistakes. Watch this one. My name is DeFree. Uh, I'm a shopaholic. Hi. Um, I cracked at Cartier today. How many did you buy this time? Uh, I got seven. One for every different day of the week. See, I got the Santos, and I Keep got Keep coming the back, okay? Let's give them some support. Keep coming back. Rebecca, why don't you share your story? Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Rebecca Bloomwood. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, I just actually came here as a favor to a friend. Uh, I mean, I like shopping. Is, is there anything so wrong with that? I mean, stores are put there to enjoy. Uh, the experience is enjoyable. <laughs> well, more than enjoyable. It's, it's beautiful. The sheen of silk draped across the mannequin. Oh, the smell of new Italian leather shoes. Italian leather shoes, that's the best. The rush you feel when you swipe your card, and it's approved, <laughs> and it all belongs to you. Okay, Rebecca, thank you for the sharing. The joy you feel when you've bought something, and it's just you in the shopping. You in shopping. All you have to do is hand over a little card. Joy is put together. Isn't that the best feeling in the world? Yeah. Don't you just want to shout it from the mountaintops? That's real. <laughs> you feel so confident and alive. And happy. And happy. What's going on here? Oh, I need to buy a new bag. I have to impress a lit nailer. You should get a watch to go with that bag. Oh, there's a, a sale at Catherine Malandrino. You're like my soul <laughs> sister. I know it. I have to go. Good luck, everybody. They, do, do they have shoes? Some of you can relate to that video, and you think shopping is beautiful, and yet you uh, might fall into the category of someone who's made a lot of poor decisions and has a lot of debt. You know, the average, according to the American Credit Consumer Society, or whatever they're called, they've got, I think it's average, about fifteen dollars to $16,000 of credit card debt per person in America. Isn't that amazing? Now, that includes student loans, auto loans, house loans, and whatever else you might have, your loan shark. doesn't include all that. That was a joke, loan shark, okay. Yeah, come on, guys. It, it's credit card debt. And I'm going to give you some very practical things I want you to consider here. If you've got a problem with your credit cards, get rid of them. Don't just freeze them in a block of ice you know, to try and keep away from them. Get rid of them. 
Proverbs 21, 17 says, those who love pleasure become poor, and those who love wine and luxury will never be rich. And what Solomon's saying is, those who try to, to get everything and live beyond their means are destined for poverty. I've had a lot of people say to me when I make the comment, well, you know, get rid of your credit card. Whoa, whoa, whoa. If I get rid of my credit cards, what am I going to do in an emergency? And I look at them and said, here's a radical concept. Trust Almighty God, not Almighty Plastic. When you get into a situation, maybe it would be better to not default to the credit card to go further in debt. So what am I going to, if I don't have a credit card, I won't be able to shop online. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I, that the problem with that is? Or they say, well, if I don't have a credit card, then I won't be able to establish credit to buy a house someday. Listen to me. If you have bad credit, you're not going to be able to buy a house someday either. If you've got a problem with this, I'm, you know, Jesus said if, if your hand or your eye offends you, pluck it out. And he's using the hyperbole there. But here's the problem. If you've got a problem with credit cards, get rid of them. Some of us keep re repeating the same folly over and over. And we're like another verse that Solomon uses in Proverbs 26, 11. We're like the dog. It says, as a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats their folly. Now, I know that is a disgusting picture. It's in the Bible. I didn't make it up. But the picture is some of us just keep coming back to the same old mess, and we need to stop it. Here's another common problem, another practical thing I want to bring up. Some of us spend more than we make, or we spend everything we make, and we're not planning for the future or, or prepared for the unexpected. Guys, listen to me. The unexpected shouldn't be that unexpected. Well, yeah, people say, well, I just didn't, I didn't know. I didn't see that. I didn't understand that was going to happen. You know, and you think we come to the point where we realize, you know, the cars are going to break down. Teeth are going to crack and fall out. Kids are going to fall off, you know, the roof and break their arms. They're, things are going to happen. And we live in this world expecting everything to always go perfect. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. Expect the unexpected. And set money aside. And if you haven't done so and you can't, then have it automatically taken out of your, your paycheck every pay period and put in a savings. Don't even think about it. Proverbs 21.20, fools spend whatever they get. Again, remember the definition of a fool. Fools spend whatever they get. And the Bible says don't go there. Let me encourage you. If you keep making the same mistakes or you're clueless about what to do, then get some help. Get help. Proverbs 13.20, walk with the wise and become wise. I love that verse. Walk with the wise and you'll become wise. Find someone in your life who's got wisdom, financial wisdom, and glean from them, learn from them. We've got classes that we run around here, run here on a regular basis. Right now, I think there's two financial peace courses going on at East Point, and we do it at least once a year. And some of you think, well, I don't have time for class. You don't have time not to go to this. You can't afford not to go to it. And I promise you, you go to financial peace, you're going to end that class knowing what to do, how to stay out of trouble, and it's going to put you on a path that I've been on now for 30 years, and I'm so grateful. Get the help you need. Some of us have had very little training in financial management. I understand that. I think I took one course in high school, and I, it did, I hated it. The teacher was boring. I didn't learn anything from it because it wasn't really applicable in my life. So I didn't learn anything. And some of us have no training in financial management, and we need to get help. It's time to change, and it's time to learn from our mistakes. Here's the third thing. Let's keep moving. Number three, practice generosity as an act of faith. Practice generosity as an act of faith. Now, it may seem counterintuitive to talk about giving money away when you're broke. I understand that this may not make a lot of sense, but hang with me. Let me read you some uh, verses out of the Bible. Again, Proverbs 19, 17. Anyone who's kind to the poor, to poor people, lends to the Lord, 
and God will reward him for what he's done. Solomon says, give, and God's going to bless you for that. Proverbs 22, 9, the generous will themselves be blessed. God says, I'm going to bless you. Now, let me insert real quickly here. doesn't mean you're going to drive a Rolls Royce and be fat and happy all the rest of your life. The blessings of God don't always come in, in financial ways, but the promise is you'll be blessed. But Jesus said this in Luke 6, 38. Give, and it will be given to you. You will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Listen to the scripture. Jesus said this. Give, and your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make room for more. Running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Jesus said that. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. And Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Here's something to remember. The one who plants only a little will gather only a little. And the one who plants a lot will gather a lot. It's the sowing and reaping. It's the farmer analogy. But Jesus says, sow a lot and you'll get a lot. Paul taught this to people, and that's the message of the scriptures. Now, listen again. I do not, listen carefully. I do not teach uh, the prosperity, health and wealth doctrine. I don't preach that, you know, just give to get from God. I don't practice or believe that. I don't. But I do believe this, that when we give with a cheerful heart, in faith, and for the right reasons, God honors that kind of generosity and sacrifice. I see it in the scriptures. I've seen it in the lives of hundreds and hundreds of people, and I've personally experienced it many times over in the last 30 years. God's word says give, and it will be given to you. If you need more, give more. Why? Because you can never outgive God. When you give with a cheerful heart, in faith, and for the right reason, the promise is God's going to bless you. How many of you have experienced uh, God's provision in a miraculous way where you know just because you were faithful, God bless you? Let me see your hands. Raise them up. Yeah, look around the room. I mean, this is not a coincidence. About a month or so ago, a guy grabbed me in the lobby, and he said, Pastor Kurt, can I tell you a story? I love stories. In fact, I heard a couple this morning that really encouraged me. But this guy said, I want to tell you a story. A few months ago, when you thought about giving, uh, you know, you really challenged me, and I decided I was going to start tithing. Now, uh, uh, you know, tithing just means to give 10%. He says, I felt like that's what God wanted me to do, to do. And so I started it just in faith. I didn't know how I was going to do it. He said, within a week, a miracle happened, a financial miracle happened in my life. He says, and over the last couple of months, I, he told me three stories in about three minutes that blew my mind. And again, many of you raise your hands and say, yeah, I've been there. I know. And my wife and I, in the 30-plus years we've been practicing this in our marriage, I cannot begin to tell you how God has proven himself again and again and again. You cannot outgive God. It's impossible. And the Bible says this is the way he wants us to live. Now, I know it's counterintuitive. I know it goes against the grain. I know that if it's not, it goes against the natural way of looking at things. And if you're investigating Christianity or you're new to, new to the faith, the idea of giving despite your need might seem whack to you. You might go, well, that is just not, does not compute. doesn't make sense. But you know, the only time we are told in the Bible to test God is in this issue of giving. It's found in Malachi 3, verse 10. It says, bring the whole tithe. Again, that's a tenth of what you make into the storehouse. And there, there will be food in my house. Now, let me say, because I know this, every time I use the T word in church, it pushes a button. Guys, the argument is, does the New Testament teach tithing? And my answer is, I think so, because Jesus affirmed it. But here's what the New Testament definitely teaches. Ready for this? It definitely teaches that if we become a Christ follower, we give it all up. The 
Bible, the New Testament pattern is not 10% to God, 90% to me. The New Testament pattern is it's 100% God. I surrender all that I am, all that I have to you, God. Now you tell me what I get to keep. That's the New Testament pattern. If you don't like 10%, you're not going to like the New Testament because that's what the Bible actually teaches. I do believe, though, that it's a good place to begin. And so, oh, there's no way I can start there. Then I say, well, start somewhere. Practice the principle of percentage giving. 2%, 3%, do it regularly, give it all the time, out of faith and trust in God, and watch and see. And I promise you do it with the right heart, as a cheerful giver, gift, in faith, and for the right reason. And if it doesn't work, I, I give you money back guarantee. Boy, our business manager just had a heart attack. <laughs> I promise you, God will show up. He will bless you and return to you way more than you can possibly imagine. Let me read on. Malachi 3 says, test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. The only time in the scriptures God says, test me, is in this. Test me. And Jesus taught a lot more about money than I ever do around here. If you're visiting, I deal with this maybe three or four times a year at the most. Jesus dealt with it a lot more because he knows it's a heart issue. But here's the reason why this is important. Because when we trust him, that's when we experience more of him. Faith is the, path, is the pathway to wonder. Write it down if you're taking notes. Faith is the pathway to wonder. Now, sometimes we make mistakes, and we end up in a financial mess, and it's going to take some time to get out of that. Been there. We've got to begin to practice some things and walk out of the mess we've created. And we can't blame God for getting there. And as we honor him, he'll honor us. Sometimes we're oblivious to God's promises, and we miss out. People say, well, I had no idea that the Bible promises you know, God will take care of me. I had no idea that you can't outgive God. Trust me, that's truth. Some of us live in fear rather than faith, and what we do when we get in a pickle is we hoard out of fear. But again, let me say it one more time and we'll move on. Faith is the pathway to wonder. Give. Give in faith to him. Here's the fourth thing, the last one. Do the possible and ask God to do the him possible. Do the possible and ask God to do, and yes, I said him possible. You know, fairly often, when I talk to people or couples about their finances, they say, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to begin. And so many of us have failed so many times that we're crippled by fear and we're, we're, just, we're, we're crippled by our, our past. And believe me, I am speaking not from someone from a position of superiority, but for someone who's been there and done that. But you know, somebody once said, the hardest step is the first step in the journey. The hardest step is the first step in the journey. And I want to encourage you just to start somewhere. Maybe you don't know where to begin. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're aware that, that it's going to, doing so is going to, you're going to counting the cost. But I promise you this, that the first step is the hardest, but it's the best. And it's, the first step is always up to us. You see, when we need a miracle from God, and I often have, and many of you do, the answer is for us to humbly cry out to God, to humbly come to him and to say, God, I'm here, I surrender, and I will do whatever you ask me to do. I will do my part. See, our part is to surrender in faith, and then to expect him to show up. In Mark chapter 6, I'm just going to paraphrase this story for the sake of time, but I love the story found in Mark 6 of Jesus. He's preaching to thousands. In fact, it says that there were 5,000 men, which means there was probably 10,000 or more people, because there's women and children, but a lot of people there. And, and it's late in the afternoon. The disciples come to Jesus, and they go, Jesus, you better send everybody home because they've got to go get some food. Send them to the villages. Send them to the, the towns to get food to, because they're going to get hungry, and, and there's nothing we can do for them. 
And Jesus looked at these disciples. I love this. He looked at these guys. He says, I got an idea. You feed them. Now, can you imagine the look on the disciples' face at that moment? 5,000 men, thousands of people, and, and Jesus looks at these guys. No, no, we're not going to send them anywhere. You feed them. And their reaction was, whoa, time out. Jesus, let me explain something to you. It would take a fortune to feed these people, and we don't get it. We don't have the money. Not going to happen. And Jesus looked at these guys again. Love this story. Read it later this week. Mark chapter 6. He looked and says, well, what do you have? What do you have? They came up with five loaves of bread and two fish, probably about the size of sardines. Five loaves and two fish. And he said, that'll do rain here. And he blessed it. And he began to multiply it. And they fed a multitude. In fact, it says till they were stuffed and they had 12 basketfuls left over. What, what's the point in that story? We do the possible. God does the impossible. We come to him with what we've got or don't have. Uh, Lord, I, I got a few sins. I got five loaves and two fish. And what we do is, here's the key. We surrender it to him. We say, God, I'm going I'm to offer what I do have. And I'm going to surrender it to you. I'm going to do the possible, and I'm going to believe that you will do the impossible. That you'll do something way beyond me. One last story, and I'm done. Years ago, a couple came to me. They'd been married about five years. And uh, their finances were a nightmare. I mean, I, I couldn't believe how much debt they were in in just five years. I, I, I'm thinking while they're going through stuff, how does somebody do this? Guys, they had over $100,000 in auto and credit card debt. 100000 over $100,000 in two things. And I don't even know what their house, I don't even, didn't even want to know. 100000 they were in a mess. Couldn't afford, barely afford to make the minimum payment on the credit cards, and they're going to be paying for 30 years if that's all they ever did. And they're fighting, there's tension in their relationship. Have you noticed that finances can push a lot of buttons? And there's frustration and anger and tension. They came to me in desperation, and it was a lot of, you know, this. He did that, she did that, you know, and a lot of finger pointing and blame shifting and all that. And I said, you know what, guys? Here's the deal. Here's where you're at. I get it. You get it. Where are we going to go from here? What are you going to do to make a difference, to change? And we began to talk about some things. And then it still came down to a point, and I could see it in their eyes, this hopelessness. Oh, I don't, this isn't going to make any difference. This, I, it doesn't matter how hard we try. We'll never get out of this. It's never going to work. I could see the hopeless in, hopelessness in their eyes. And I said to them what I'm saying to you. Give God the little. Surrender what you, you have. Surrender your hearts, your lives to him. Put it in his hands and watch what he will do. And just three years, three years later, they came to me and they were debt free. Completely debt free. Now, part of it is they had to go to their credit card companies and, and renegotiate and ask them to reduce some things so they wouldn't go bankrupt. But there are things they did that they did the possible and they watched God do the impossible. I promise you, He'll do that in your life as well. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for how practical the Word of God is. And I know that some sitting in this room or listening on the radio or online right now are depressed, they're discouraged, they're frustrated. They're maybe even ticked off that I'm talking about money and they don't want to deal with it. They don't want to look at it. And I know how discouraging it could be, God, because I have been there. But, Lord, I also have seen you work in powerful and miraculous ways. When we take the steps to honor you, to follow you, to live with wisdom and to trust you, I have seen you, God, time and time again do amazing things. 
So Lord, instead of someone leaving here today frustrated or discouraged or feeling beat up, that would be from the enemy. Don't let them live under that cloud. Right now, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you'd breathe hope into their heart, that you would breathe life into them, that they would, perhaps for the first time in a long time, they would look to you again and cry out to you, oh God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. And that they would put their heart and their hope and their eyes fixed on you right now. And that today would be a day where they begin to make the changes necessary, the surrender necessary, the trust necessary to find themselves, maybe months, maybe years down the road, but to find themselves exactly where you want them to be. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe you're here today and you've not begun your life as a Christ follower. And you realize, man, I, I, all this money stuff is one thing, but I, my life, I don't even know God. I, I'm not even surrendered my life to him yet. And you know you're ready. It's time. You just know in your gut that it's time for you to say yes to God, to surrender, to embrace his gift of grace and forgiveness and mercy to you. And, and I know you have questions. You think, man, I don't get it. How can God love me? He does. And what he offers to you is the gift of grace and forgiveness. It is free for the taking. All you've got to do is take it. Embrace it. And if you're ready to do that and you want to do that today, surrender your life and embrace his gift of grace, then just make this prayer. I'm going to pray right now your prayer. Just make my words your words. Father, I need you. I need a Savior. I need Jesus. And I admit that I have really messed things up and I've gone my own way and I'm far from the man or woman I want to be and the man or woman I know you want me to be. And so God, I pray right now that you'd come invade my life. I surrender everything I have, everything I am to you. I embrace your gift of forgiveness. I can't believe that you love me that much, but I, I do believe and I do surrender my life to you right now. And I, I'm choosing right now at this moment to begin my life as a child of God, as a follower of yours. Now if that's you, just in your own heart, say, yep, God, that's me. And the Bible says when you do, the moment you say yes to him, you become his child forever. Lord, thank you for those that are making that decision right now. Show them what it means. Show them what you're going to do. Give them the life that they've so longed for in you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with uh, one last uh, song. Yeah, ushers are going to come. Again, if you're a guest or you're visiting today, don't feel obligated to give. If you're ticked off at me, don't give. If you can't give with a cheerful heart, don't give. But you're standing around people who have made sacrifices to make this place and this church possible. So uh, those of you that have done so, thank you for your gifts. Let's continue to give and honor the Lord, and let's worship as we do. Hey, a couple of things before you go. One, if you began your life as a Christ follower today, tell somebody, let them know. And on the tables by the doors, there's a white envelope. It's got a Bible, some material to get you started. It says, for new believers, pick one of those up. And we love to walk with you in this journey. On those tables and at the information counter, there's lots of these cards. I'd love to have to print more. For Easter, grab them, give them away, invite people to come. Back there, the yellow table, please. We need about 40, 50 people to help us. You guys are always great about volunteering. Serve at one service at Easter and go to another so we can make this place a safe place for people to come. If you need prayer, be down front. Communes on both sides of the room. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today. God bless you.